G'day guys, it's Ollie from The Wild Horseman. Before we get into this week's episode, I'm delighted to announce some of the people who are going to receive the prizes first off the bat for leaving a comment or recommending one of the awesome movies we've done over the episode so far. So I want to give a big shout out to Gareth Viney, Ariel Koenig-Luck, James Smith, Dan Ho and Tori Collins. You've all won a Wild Horseman stubby holder featuring the three boys, or horses as we like to be known, right on there to smash a few cold stubbies with. Now, get in contact with us with your details uh, via 2wildhorsemen at gmail.com. We'll leave that at the end of the podcast as well. Let us know uh, how best to get hold of you, and we'll get them out to you as soon as we can. Hello and welcome to the Wild Horseman Podcast, where we trawl the depths of the streaming services for the most epic deaths. I'm Tom. I'm Woody. And I'm Ollie. And today, a freak storm brings a big old mist, and it contains a shitload more than just gorillas. So we've just finished the mist on Stan and Horseman. Give us a plot summary, mate. Um, I'm still a little bit rattled by this movie. It was an absolute belter um, in the end, but um, we'll get into why that is. The basic plot is a father, um, David Drayton, played by Tom Jane, um, the Punisher uh, in Deep Blue Sea. You know, you'd know him from around the traps. He's uh, brought his family down to what appears to be some sort of lakeside getaway. It's his missus and um, eight-year-old son. There's a big old storm the first night they're there, we, we're led to believe. It's, they haven't been there for very long. Um, him and his next-door neighbour, who's the infamous Captain Holt. Um, it's Donald Norton is the character's name, played by Andre Brewer. Um, Brent. 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 Brent Norton. Andre Donald. Whatever. Anyway, it's Captain Holt. So he comes out of his house. Um, they look basically lock eyes. They're going to have a bit of a throwdown. They decide, look, we've had a we've had a massive problem here. There's been a huge storm. Everyone's properties are damaged. We've got no power. What are we going to do? So uh, Drayton, the main character, says to um, Norman Norbert Norton that um, mate, we'll head into town. We're going to sort this out. Um, they've they've got a bit of a history. These two, anyway, getting bogged down. They head into town um, with the eight year old boy, the son. Go to the grocery store. Everyone's hunky-dory, but there's no power. There's no... A lot of things going on. It's very strange, but everyone's hunky-dory, buying stuff. No one else seems to be worried about the storm. And suddenly, this mist rolls in. The movie then takes you through a biblical, psychological, thriller, horror sort of creature feature all rolled into one, mashed into one, which you can kind of make what you want from it. But it's a true survival tale. And... um, it doesn't. It doesn't pull any punches at, at all. The pacing will surprise people. It, it might come across as a bit slow, but it really revs up, and it's it's got a, an ending 
that will stay with you. Yeah, I think I think the Draytons live there, and Norton is visiting from New York. That's the way I read it. Yeah, well, they do have the Draytons on their letterbox. To be fair, yeah, I think yeah. I think he he works for a big uh, company that does art for cinema or something like that. And Norton is a big lawyer in New York or something. The next door neighbors, and somehow they live on a lake. I didn't pick that up until later. Like initially, I was like, "What is the what, what, what is this, what is the dialogue happening here? What's the like, why are they not getting along?" Things like that. Well, I guess you do find out. But um, I was thinking about this. This movie is kind of like War of Worlds meets Starship Troopers. Yeah, accurate. I yeah, I think that's a that's a that's pretty much what it is. If you've seen the new the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, it's very they're similar sort of idea of this creepy beasts that come out of nowhere really and just become part of the the landscape and suck the resources off the earth. And in this movie. Although that we find out that they were let through a portal or something like that, although it's not really explained, it's sort of hinted at. Uh, these animals arrive and just wreak havoc across an area of which we don't know. We never find out, and that's kind of part of the, the ending you were hinting at, Ollie. That's kind of the tragedy of the ending is that we don't really get a grasp of how widespread or this the carnage is from these creatures. I think it's pretty good that they didn't go too far into trying to explain the portal, where it is, where it came from, or, or really like show that at all because it allowed you to feel more in the moment as like, a person trapped in a, in a store with all hell breaking loose and these crazy creatures trying to kill you. So it gave more time for you to like, really feel for these poor bastards stuck in that shop. And you know, otherwise, this movie could have been really stretched. could have been a two, three-hour-y if you started to really roll all that into one. Oh, yeah. And you're also touching on the American military's uh, inability to train a combat man. That guy did fuck all to protect himself in that particular scene, but we'll get into it. Um, yeah, no, I think you're dead right. Like, it's, it would be, it sets a tone for just a terrifying um, place to be, and it really shows how human emotions may play out. Um, I hope we're never in a situation as intense as that where you have to pick sides and people are, are starting to get down with some pretty gnarly shit. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head that as, as much as what's happening outside the, the shopping centre, the supermarket, which is called Food Mart, I think. No, Food House. Oh, Food House. I mean, it's like Roadhouse, genius. but for food, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as much happening outside as happening inside is of, of a threat to the to the characters. Like You've got all the creatures outside in the mist and they're terrifying, but inside, like... It's all falling apart just amongst their the thirty or forty people trapped in the in the store. They make tribes and basically like it's it kind of like your your point that it hints at what might unfold when you've got people in really high stress scenarios in a confined space looking for something to blame or to save them or whatever it happens to be. Absolutely, hundred percent. You're seeing like the uh, the psychological damage or toll that that situation would put on a group of mostly strangers. Uh, in a yeah high high stress situation, but um but yeah let's let's jump into the, some of the key moments for the movie. Well, before we do that, the, what, one of the things that kind of will explain why it's so psychological is this is the the mist made in two thousand seven is based on a Stephen King novella, um so a short story he wrote in I think nineteen eighty, um so it was written a long time before it was made. I don't know, mate. You're telling yeah, the story. It was directed by Frank Darabont, who also directed <laughs> uh two other Stephen King adaptations The Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption classic uh, he also directed the first season and a half of The Walking Dead and I think he wrote The Walking Dead as well um, 
and, and yet, and uh, just a bit more on him. So he's um, one of only six filmmakers in history with the unique distinction of having his first two feature films receive nominations for Best Picture, and that was The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. Um, and he has won Oscars uh, for Best Adapted Screenplay for both of those films as well. So he's a really, really accomplished director. Um, Certified. And he was also a script doctor for a, two other Steven Spielberg movies. So someone they call in to fix scripts that are a bit fucked, basically. And that was in... Um, so he, he fixed Saving Private Ryan and Minority Report. And he also wrote the first draft of one of the early drafts of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So he fixed Minority Report. Well, Jesus, we'll have to come back to yeah. that fucking comment. Yeah. He also worked on Eraser, uh, Collateral, Law Abiding Citizen, Godzilla, and The Huntsman Winter War. That's huge. And they're all uncredited. So mad like, he dog, just did, mad he dog. Just got brought in to fix it. So Frank Darabond. Yeah. yeah. Darabond. While, while we're on that, I was actually very surprised to see that he I know I know him for Shawshank Redemption. Great movie. Uh, brilliant and, film. Oh, brilliant film. And and the Green Mile. Again, another absolute belter. Um, and then later on down the track, Walking Dead. I had no idea that he made this movie or had the accolade, accolades that you just mentioned. It's pretty crazy stuff, and and for it to be his third Stephen King adaptation as well. Um, I guess a lot of, I guess, good background to this movie. Um, with the old Frank at the helm. Yeah, and he brought a few people with him. So he brought a lot of the the crew from um another movie he worked on before I think it was The Green Mile to come and do this one because he thought it would be much easier if they worked on this movie with him. And he also brought a bunch of actors. I mean, like the whole way through, we were just pointing out people, oh, that guy's in Shawshank well, Redemption. I'd say the majority would have been Shawshank Redemption characters yeah, yeah, there's, um, um, compared uh, to The Green Mile. There's at least, there was at least two, but I think there's, I think there's actually a lot more than that. So, um, yeah, and, but, and Stephen King was inspired to write The Mist um, by a trip to his local supermarket following a thunderstorm during which he imagined prehistoric animals and giant insects besieging the building. Yeah, look, what goes on really in that guy's <laughs> mind, man? So, <laughs> Stephen King is a sick motherfucker, I won't lie. The other thing I really like about this movie is that the Shermanator made a yeah, fucking appearance. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck, man? That guy was a complete piss take of an individual from American Pie. Uh, this is probably for our audiences. You know, if you're in your 30s, whatever now, you would have watched the American Pies. The Shermanator, a hilarious character, plays a very... You know, he plays a young bloke in this as well. This came out in 07, so it's only five years after um, American Pie 2. I think that was, or maybe six. I think that was 2001, and he's still the Shermanator in that. Hasn't aged much, and um, he plays a pretty funny character. But as soon as I saw him, I had this smirk on my face. I was like, oh, no, what, you know, what is this movie really going to end up being like? But uh, it stays dead fucking serious and gets more serious, so it's not a comedy. Now, what, do you have um budget and stuff? I didn't actually see a budget yeah. or box office for this, so I'm willing to have a bit of a guess. Oh, I'll, I'll have a guess. You can go first, though, my friend. I reckon when you fuck it up, I'll be closer. I reckon it cost <laughs> about uh, eighteen million to make, and made about thirty-five million at the box office. That's a spicy meatball. Eighteen million made thirty-five. I will raise you, sir. If we were playing a game of poker, which we're not, and you would win because my mathematics is fucked. But uh, I'll say twenty-four million to make, made ninety million. It's a big raise. That's big. Budget of eighteen million. <laughs> leads me to believe that Tom has seen it now. Um, <laughs> and the box office was fifty-seven point three. What was Tom's guess for the box? Thirty-five. Thirty-five. So it's fucking three, almost tres, tres times box. Box office tres. Yeah, so we say it was a success. <laughs> yeah, no, it was that's very successful. successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
for a, 18 million bucks for that, eh? Well, I mean, like, I, I don't know how it compares to other um, Steven Spielberg adaptations, but I can't imagine it came close to Shawshank or Green Mile. Well, the Shawshank Redemption was a sleeper hit that took a long, long time to get going. So I don't think that made a lot of money, but it's been critically reacclaimed. The Green Mile, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I think that did a lot better. And it was also star powered by Tom Hanks. I'm pretty sure so that. Huge name. Green Mile got Best Picture the year it came out. I think it did. I think it, financially it took a long time to get going. See. See, Mom. No one's taken away from the 10 out of 10 rating that bad boy gets. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Before we, the very last thing before we get into scenes, can we talk a little bit about Thomas Jane? Sure. What would you like to know about the man? Is he actually just a terrible actor? Like, there are moments in this movie 100% where like, is, yeah. it is like quite hard to watch. Like not, not from a bad filmmaking, but like it is just really intense, especially the final scene, which we will get to. And Well, I bet you Witty has, a, has an example of a scene where it's terrible. But I'm going to give my example. The opening scene was pulling fucking teeth when he was talking about, I love that tree. That tree means so much to me. Oh, I should have put the art in the basement with me. Oh, it's like, shut the fuck up, man. Shut up. And then you just want the movie to get going. And then when he has someone else around, like a decent actor like Andre, uh, what's his last name? Brewer. Andre Brewer, who takes control of that scene, it became better to watch. Witty, have you got an example of where he's just terrible in this? I would say terrible, just not consistent. There were times like in the the scene where our friend Norm gets taken first and like he's really upset and he's saying like, you killed that kid. Like, I thought, oh, well, you know, yeah, I'm feeling yeah. that he's he's getting into that part. Um, and then obviously cutting to, you know, the very end where he's like staring at the sky with his mouth gaping, like <laughs> trying his hardest to put on a, a convincing crying performance. Yeah. It's, it's, it was Darth Vader. At the end of episode three, like, no, yeah. like, you just say a robotic wooden looking fucking yeah. thing. Like, nah, it's shit ass. But yeah. you can't coach a guy at that point. No. Like, oh, I mean, like, by, by this point, he was he was established. Like, he'd been around forever. Mm. Um, obviously, being the Punisher. And Woody and I had a conversation offline about the Punisher, which we'll get into in a second. And, Very nice. Uh, you know, he's in um, Deep Blue Sea, which we, we've done on this podcast as well. That's the only two movies apart from this that I can name him in, though, I'll be honest. <laughs> Oh, yeah, mate. He like, must have done more. He must have. But for some reason, I've seen all three of his big movies, I think. Well, so he was in Boogie Nights. Uh, he was in The Punisher, Deep Blue Sea. Oh, yeah, I've seen Boogie and Nights. And he was in the 2018 The Predator, which we I've never seen. Yep, I've seen that. I no. have seen that as well. I'm struggling to remember who he was, isn't it? He was, mm-hmm. in, the, he was in The Thin Red Line. Everyone was in that movie. God damn, <laughs> man. Have you guys ever seen that movie, man? I don't I think I Fucking George Clooney... Uh, mate, the, I don't want to get into that movie. It's the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen about World War Two. But we'll move on. Jim Caviezel's in that. He's actually done heaps of stuff. Oh, absolutely. I think his career peaked though between '99, which is Deep Blue Sea, and around the '07 area, because he, for me, some of his biggest work would have been Deep Blue Sea was pretty fucking big, um, and The Punisher was quite big as well. I mean, they had John Travolta in it. Um, was pretty big. Then he obviously did this, but I, I couldn't tell you a more recent work. Like I obviously didn't even remember he was in the Predator. Mm. But um, yeah, um, I mean, guy's been around. Though. He's been around on the Punisher. So he was the second make of the Punisher. So there was 1989. Dolph Lundgren made a Punisher. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. Oh my god, that would be awesome. Uh, then Thomas Jane made one in 2004. In 2008, Ray Stevenson made one. And you'd recognize Ray Stevenson if you looked him up. You'd recognize him instantly. And then in oh, I know who he is. Yep. 2016, yep. obviously, 
the Mr. TV French show. And the Departed. Ray Stevenson. Yep. Is he the um? Let me. How do I put this? Have you guys seen The Purge? Yes. Is he the cop in the first two purges? Wait, that's stretching my brain. No, all right then. I can moving on, moving Ethan, on. Ethan Hawke and the Purge. Um, and in 2016, obviously, John Bernthal, who's probably the now the most recognized Punisher. And done, one of the biggest A-listers in yeah. Hollywood right now. He's yeah. doing everything. Yeah, and that, yeah, and that TV show's great. Um, I like Thomas Jane in, in the 2004 one. I haven't seen the 89 one and didn't even know the 2008 one existed. So... I'm the um, exact same as you, mate. Yeah. And I haven't watched the Punisher series, so no comment on that. Oh, you should. I've, it's very good. Uh, yeah, I will, I will. But yeah. I, I like Tom Jane in The Punisher. I liked a lot of the um, scenes in that movie and how they were done. And obviously, I don't know if he was acting or not, but he was just constantly pissed because he's grieving his family. So a different movie to what we have here. Here requires some dramatic stuff and it was hit and miss. Yeah. All right, let's get into the scenes. Um, I, I hes- I'm hesitant to start with... I mean, we might as well start. If we're going to do the main scenes, let's do the, let's do them in chronological order of the main scenes. And I think the first scene that I would like to talk about is when the mist. I don't think I've even written it up on the board, but the mist comes across the shopping center car park, and people are inside, and the guy and the guy is running with the blood, blood nose, saying it's taken Johnny Lee or whatever his name is, John and, Lee or some yeah, shit. And yeah, and that's when you're like, oh fuck, like all right, now we're into the movie. This is the movie started now. Um, no one really knows what's going on. You don't know what kind of creatures are in the mist. You don't know, um, like, what kind of damage they're doing to people. You don't know how fast they move. You don't know anything except that this mist has come and it's just sort of sitting there on top of the building. You don't know how widespread it is. It's, all you know is that someone has died out there and very in very short order, several other people go out into the mist and just disappear. <laughs> and so, um, you, you, that's that's. I think that is, at that point, you're like, all right, the movie's started now. We've had the... Thomas Jane or Mr. Drayton at his house talking about a tree and now we're into the monsters have arrived and all hell's going to break loose. Yeah, I like that it gets into it quick. Um, and that's definitely, a, a, that opening scene is a key scene. Seeing the mist come in, him running in, bloodied, something's taken him. It sets the tone, which is what I think you know, a movie certainly needs to do. Looking back to previous um, episodes like uh, Wrong Turn, same thing. You set the tone early. It, it draws interest in. Oh, 100%. And another thing I really liked about that scene is because the mist is rolling in, because some people are doubtful, like Tom said, several people have a crack at going to their cars. Like one guy's literally like, screw this, like runs out and you just hear him screaming. Is there anything more American than like, <laughs> I'm going to my car, I'm going man. to my car, man. <laughs> screw this. So he runs out there like a legend. But um, the guy that uh, has got the bloody nose... He's saying something's taken him, something's taken him. But because there's a mist, people don't know, has the guy been hit by a car in the mist? Did you do something to him? What are you saying's happened? And that sets this tone of like, what is actually fucking going on out there? But because nothing comes straight into the store, it's not like a bloody end of the world movie where the fucking roof comes off the store. The tension starts to build because then, you know, not long after that, um, you know, a few things, creepy, very creepy things start to happen like at the back door and stuff of the building. A very important scene kicks off the movie. The first three minutes of the tree, like you said, Tom, this is filler. I mean, they had to have a reason to go to the store. That was it. Delete that. It's a pretty good movie from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. Yeah. Um, Woody? Yep. What, any major scenes for you to jump out? Oh, major scenes. Um, no, I think, look, yeah, the opening scene, um, I think, actually, something I wouldn't, I would like to have had explained a bit better was when they, 
after the first attack, they chop off part of the tentacle and then it evaporates. Didn't really see that happen to anything else. Or maybe it's because it's, you know, it got chopped off, it's an appendage and the rest of them were just, you know, creatures that were killed. I, I didn't really know what was going on there. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, yeah, no, 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 no real other moments at this point. Yeah, fair enough. I agree with that. Is that what frustrated me about that was that they didn't try and use one of the many receptacles that they have at their availability to bring it out and show someone. Um, you've got you've got a dangerous limb. Like they poke it, it tries to bite the broom. You've got a really sensible person there um, in the Norton dude who's got commands, power, and respect. People listening, prove it to him. They just fuck it up completely. It turns into a very silly argumentative stage as well, which again, I think it's obviously every movie has these, but they obviously want there to be a bit of a beef to create tension. You would solve that in another way. You wouldn't do what <laughs> uh, Drayton does. He's like, I'll drag you out there myself. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, this is a grown man. He could obviously defend himself. That doesn't work. Same thing with what Woody said. I don't know why it disappears when they touch it. It's laying there for several, several minutes, possibly longer because we, you know, the movie's not true to time. Bit weird. They fuck that up quite badly. I I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That beef that, also that beef doesn't, doesn't really. Uh, they spend a lot of time developing the beef, and then uh, Norton goes out into the mist after about twenty minutes, and that is just gone. And so it seems like a lot of wasted effort. Can a, I also ask? This is like, I know it's not really a scene because it's he's not seen again. So we've led to believe that Norton passes on. I'm not even going to the death at all. I'm just saying like he just disappears. There's no screaming. He goes out there with five other people, I think. I mean, I truly believe that we would, they would come running back or one of them would. And then I just remembered at the end of the movie, like, that fucker just left. Never heard of him again. I just realized yeah. that then. So that's strange as well. Would have been interesting if, um, if he resurfaced at the end of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, you don't, you don't, well, we still don't know. He's still out there. <laughs> yeah. It's just still lost He's in still the mist. Still in the mist. Still just he really there. is in the mist. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot, there's a few questions about the, uh, Food house, um, its power supply, for instance, uh, when um, uh, Dayton gets to the uh, Drayton gets to the supermarket and he's like, "Oh, why is there a big queue? Like there were six checkouts and no one's gone." He was like, and "The che- checkout lady's like, well, the power's out, but then all the lights are on, <laughs> and they have a generator, which is on. Is on. <laughs> Did we miss the part where the electricity came back on? I don't think so. I feel like." It just didn't go out, and then it did go out, and then it didn't come back on. Yeah, and because like, the script doctor was away this day, <laughs> I, I turned I turned to you guys and said, "Like they they are now trapped. They realize this creature's outside." He goes out the back to inspect, to have a look at the generator, which they said they didn't have one, and then he turns off a light. And I'm like, mate. The look on Winnie's face when that happened. I looked over and he was just disgusted in what he was seeing. And then I kind of realized, no, when we're watching the movie, I'm not saying right now, he always looks disgusted when he looks at me anyway. But um, I thought that was quite funny. I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about that because I I couldn't follow what was powering what, who the fuck had power. I don't understand. The whole lights thing was really fucked, really. How could Frank let this happen? That's why I was so disappointed. Frank. Yeah. I don't know who the fuck Frank? Frank is. Frank Darabont. Man. Oh, oh Darabont, yeah. Well, that's what I said. The doctor was away that day. <laughs> yeah, the whole was, fucking time this was being written, yeah, he actually. Was, he was out <laughs> fixing Saving Private Ryan that The doctor day. called yeah. in. Oh, Goddamn right. <laughs> um, Ollie, one thing you wanted to bring up was the uh, the preacher lady and everything that surrounded 
her she was played by um Marsha Gay Harden, who you might know from Mystic River. Uh, her character's name is Mrs. Carmody. And basically she's a religious fanatic who believes the mist to be a wrath of God. Yeah, look, so she's a central figure throughout the movie. Um uh, but I, I will say what happens to her because it's nowhere near in terms of gore, one of our favourite deaths, I'm sure. But basically, there's a religious fanatic, as quickly as I can, folks, who's starting to stir up all the Old Testament biblical stuff like End of the World. And um, uh, Drayton's character is very afraid, or so I feel like the shopkeepers, that she's going to get a following. It becomes very frustrating to watch for someone, this is my own personal view, that people start to fall into that desperation. But I guess people would. And it becomes very scary because the majority of the store starts to follow her as what she predicts will happen continues to happen. So we're all getting to a point, I think, where it starts to escalate. She's taking control, physical control. A guy has been killed on her, basically on her command quite brutally and then fed to the creatures that she is about to request a child to be sacrificed. And it's they're outnumbered. The movie doesn't pull any punches. So at this stage, you think anything can happen. And she just gets fucking capped. And there was just a big... Sigh of relief from me. I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was important because at that stage, you've been in there for a long time. Things are breaking down. Religious crazy talk is no better than shooting everyone in the store at that stage. I just felt like, holy shit, that that would take people back down to their senses. Other people who were believing that might think, holy fuck, I was scared. So she was a very important figure. We were all hoping either a creature got her or someone got her. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was that was a big mo- moment in the movie. She was basically rallying people to start killing one another, and we saw that when they killed Private Jessup. The butch comes out, stabs him three times with a huge butcher knife, <laughs> and then they literally sacrifice him and throw him out the front door. Um, and then, then she moves on to Drayton's son Billy and saying he's offered up next. Hence why Toby Jones's character Ollie comes out and puts a few rounds in her. My main man, Ollie. Yeah. I think for the lead. They did a good job building her character up because she started out as the, the, the like town local crazy lady praying in the toilet by herself. And then slowly, as things escalated outside, she drew people into her. And there was a few things that happened, like the, the bug not biting her when it got yeah, the chance. Sort of made, gave her this, this aura of being knowing or somehow empowered. And then more and more people rallied around her. And then basically... If Toby Jones, our mate Ollie, hadn't capped her, she had con- like Ollie, like you said, she had control of the majority of the people in there. Yeah, and another really cool technique I think they used was in almost in replacement sometimes of music. We could hear her preaching when they were having conversations, so her voice was often heard in the background, which was like continually revving people up. Like she doesn't shut up in the like you get to a point where you want her to be quiet, but someone like her wouldn't be. So you are quite subjected to that, which is a really cool theme in the movie it's like it doesn't just pan to someone else that can't hear anymore they're in a fucking shopping center if she was talking you'd be able to hear her so it does interrupt other people and stuff which is really cool yeah i think also she just made everyone uncomfortable like just watching it you oh, she's a freak un- mate. Uh, yeah and yeah she did good acting by uh um old Marsha. yeah i guess it's one of those Fine moments acting. where you're all thinking it and uh yeah a bit of a bit of a shock when it actually happens True, but she also got to the point of being very pompous. So she's sitting there, she's barking orders at this stage. The religious aspect has kind of fizzled. She's sitting in her chair like, no one's going to do what I don't say. And it's like, okay, you are now power hungry as you were afraid. So I was very relieved when she got capped. So that was my scene. Good scene. I know. Are we going in chronological order? No, no, just go to yours, Witty. 
Oh, cool. I, I think, think we are I, kind of incredible towards I, I, Yeah, I wrote this one down straight away as a bit of a like a badass moment. There's a sweet little old lady. She's been around town for a long time. Uh, she, I think she's a teacher and she used to teach a lot of the you know, main characters and they've made their way into a pharmacy that's overrun with these giant spiders that spit acid webbing and it's just bad news. Anyway, they <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. News. It's pretty bad news. That's fucking right. They have like so basically they they grab a whole bunch of narcotics to you know help the sick and injured back at the main headquarters food house, and <laughs> just as they're leaving, you think they're in the clear, um, you see a huge spider creep up behind her, and she turns around like shock and awe, and you think, oh, this is when the the poor old lady gets it, only for it to pause. Raise a can of bug spray, ignite it, and flamethrower <laughs> this spider. And I just thought, yeah, classic. Well, well put together little part. Yeah, and, she, uh, she was also devastating to Jim when she said, "Oh, didn't I teach you in the school? You're an underachiever." And then just sends him off with like pushes him <laughs> out the door. Yeah, see ya. She, yeah, she was completely buckles to her command yeah. as well, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> but yeah. um, but also like leading on from. What Witty said about her burning the spider, Tom telling the the gym dude to get out there. Like, we none of us watching it thought she had gone, and then we see her in there, like getting stuff. Like, what a staunch old fucking lady, man! Like, she's up in there, she's burning spiders, giving zero fucks. Like, that's why I have so much respect for her, and I'm glad she survives that scene. Anyway, you know what I mean? It's pretty cool. Should we talk about the final scene? Should we do it? If you haven't seen the movie, just skip forward about maybe five minutes because. It's worth watching cold if you haven't seen it because it is, it's pretty full on. Like, major even, spoiler, major spoiler. Yeah, even like just talking about it, I'm like, fuck. Some deep shit. Some end to a movie. Yep. Take us through it, Ollie. Well, I'll do my best. Um, basically, the main good people left in the store have a plan to escape via Drayton's car. So it's Drayton, his son, an old couple and not the romantic interest, but another lady. Um, I forget her name. They um, make it to the car. Ollie, who had the firearm, is killed on the way to the car. So, And a few other people as well. So there's probably going to be eight. It turns out to be five. Um, they hit the road. They witness some other creatures, one particularly giant one. They're obviously like, the world's over. We're in deep shit. The tone is set. They kind of, I feel like they either run out of petrol or run out of will to keep driving. And basically the scene is there's a firearm, the revolver that Ollie has dropped when being killed. Um, there's four bullets, five of them. You've got to remember the eight-year-old boys in the car, which is Drayton's son. We're all sort of sitting at each other like, okay, this is where the mist clears or they get crushed by a big monster or fuck, I don't know, like Drayton and his boy get out and leave or something. Next minute, pans away from the car, top of the vehicle, multiple gunshot, you know, muzzle flashes and uh, Drayton's killed everyone except himself and he's just devastated. And it was like big old kick in the... Uh, in the stomach, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was it was intense because he counted the bullets and we're like, ah, oh, how would they do it? Like, probably wouldn't do it. And then he just, I mean, he, sh- he shoots his own son and then three other people because the world's ending and then 30 seconds later, like, army trucks <laughs> roll by and they're clearing the mist and, like, can you just, like, I think we're just in stunned silence. We're just, like, watching it, like, w- what a great, I mean, devastating but great way to end a movie where like there's no hope at all. Big twist, yeah. You then do the hardest thing you'll ever have to do and if you had just waited one more minute, you wouldn't have had to do it. Like it was it was pretty oh, full on. 
I would have legit like asked him to cap me or throw like oh he said throw myself underneath a tank because you're not living with yourself after you've done that. Like his his kid just woke up from a nap to see him pointing a gun at his face. Like it's hectic, mate. It's very hectic. You know, it's like being under pressure to drive through. You know what I'm saying? Like at McDonald's, you're like, oh, what do I get? You make a call. He killed his son. Nah, I'm taking it too far. What I'm saying is, Witty's right. I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. And he does try to kill himself, even though he knows he's got the bullets. He keeps pulling the trigger. I was trying to lighten the mood there, folks, because it will leave you in shock um, if you haven't let this spoiler hit you already. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think we also spitballed whilst this scene was building that you couldn't take, you reasonably take your child out into that mist with you because what happens if one of them crab people or giant spiders gets your kid in front of you and tears them apart? Like, then what are you thinking if you survive that, you know? So, but we were still, I did not believe that would happen. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was no good choices. Yeah. And then, no easy choice. No, yeah. And then when he's watching all the trucks drive past, he sees a lady that ran out of the store early on rolling past on one of these trucks. And you're like, oh, like people survived. And so then you're thinking like, well, if we just took our chances on foot, we might have made it. Who knows? Do you so. know what would have been like the biggest slap in the face if Brent Norton was on that? <laughs> <laughs> he just yells out, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> you assaulted me. Told you. <laughs> oh, that would, man. That'd He's be... just dangling his Mercedes keys or something at him. <laughs> like, even though the tree got him. Yeah. Also, why do the military guys... For so so long as they go past, give zero fucks about him. Like there's clearly a survivor. Yeah, Do you not bit, put him on the truck. Or that was a bit weird. There's like, ah, he cares. Whatever. Yeah. We're burning that spider that guy, in the tree. You're on patrol, man. Yeah. You're a bigger fish that guy's been through some yeah. shit. Just give him a minute. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, Stephen King uh, loved the ending. It's not apparently how the book ends, um, which I I didn't. I don't know how the book ends. I haven't read it. I, did, I didn't see it anywhere. But he basically said. Um, that the ending is such a jolt, wham, it's frightening, but people who go to see a horror movie don't necessarily want to be sent out with a Pollyanna ending, which I guess means like a, a ending that makes you feel good. Like, And yeah. it doesn't. It, makes, it sends you out with just like kind of an empty feeling. But yeah, it's great. Yeah. Solid. I don't know what we're waiting for. Let's get into it. Death. Death. Oh, do we have guess at death count? I haven't got any idea. Mate. Oh. I, started, I started counting and I, I just I did got... As well. Uh, if you have an idea, I mean, you can you can have a crack. Um, I think the only the only sort of like mention I got was earlier today before we watched the movie that I knew it was going to go into double digits, so I was trying to count, but I have no idea where it ended up. So I'm going to have a crack and say, I mean, I wrote down the first six, I think, but assuming assuming we're going to include the six people that went, including Nob Nobbit. Norbert, whatever his name is. Brent Norton. Brent Norton. <laughs> Nobby, Nobby the Elf. I think we include those. Two. I'm going to say 18, but I think it's more. I don't know. Yeah, so I got to count as six as well, and then I stopped counting. Um, oh, just because I have no idea. I'm just going to make it. I'm going to go with 21. 21, get yourself a gun. 34. <sighs> but you have to remember that these counts count the dead wife at the end in the cocoon. They yeah. count. Yeah. yeah, I'd count that. The MP is. Well. We yeah. saw her alive. They count. The, they count the girl in the bus as they're driving off into, into the mist. Count. Those oh guys. yeah, I saw that girl. So She's they'll, covered in they'll count. Eggs. They'll count every probably dead body or visible death in mm. in the thing. So and you're right. I I kept going with the death count, but at the end of my notes was just death, 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 <laughs> death, 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 death. And I went, yeah, okay, let's wrap it there. Yeah. But no, it's um, I think uh. I think at one point it had the highest 
amount of deaths, on-screen deaths, um, for a sci-fi horror, I think, uh, only to be beaten by one other. can't remember the name. But that surprised me, on-screen. I mean, th- I guess 34, maybe they weren't all on-screen, but we've done The Thing and there's a shitload of deaths in that fucking movie. But, and that's a sci-fi horror. Yeah, I guess like Starship Troops, is that sci-fi horror? Don't know. Oh, there's whoa. a lot of deaths in that. <laughs> At least 100,000. Yeah. In one afternoon. In one afternoon. <laughs> in 25 minutes. Uh, so, um, I suspect we probably have this, the same favorite death. On the count of three. We might not. I don't know. All right, one, two, three. Crab and cut in half. <laughs> Crab. Is that the one you're talking about? No, no. What was go, uh, Woody? What was yours? I didn't even say one. <laughs> mine, <laughs> mine, mine was the uh, military police officer bursting into spiders. That was oh, sick. fuck that yeah, was that good. was sick. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. basically, one of the big spiders laid eggs in him, and they start hatching in front of everyone. Yeah. They're popping out of his face and everywhere, and then his back explodes. Baby giant so spiders. F- that's so full on. Yeah. I think I did. I think I did say. Military police, yeah. <laughs> crab, crab, crab. Well, my leading on from crab, crab. It was um, not the sacrificed soldier, but it was only at the end because the big crab guy just walks over, grabs him, cuts him up. Like you don't really see it, but it's so funny that the rest of them are still there, and then you just see the crab guy sort of turn on his right and just walk off. I was like, oh, that's fucking hilarious. He just destroys a guy, then keeps going. So theoretically, he's kind of the monster you want to come across because he doesn't just hang around killing you. Um, and he gave him the gun. Which maybe it's not a good thing. Did you say the same thing? But you, Ollie said crab. Did you say Ollie getting cut in half? No, no, I was um, the uh, bikey guy getting cutting cut in half. So you don't yeah. actually see. You just see him come back. Just his, his legs come back. All his guts hanging out. <laughs> the half of him. And I thought that was fucking sick. It's good because well, I, I love that whole scene with the rope getting pulled, the hands getting burnt, and they wrap the thing around. They drag it back in. And there's just all this blood and guts and shit on the rope, and then they just drag up like half a body, and then it just sits out the front for the rest of the movie, like just I mean, oh, and no, it gets taken away, does it? At some yeah, point? a monster takes it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, for a while it's for out ages there, yeah. and it's like, there for a day. It's kind of like <laughs> that's kind of a realistic thing. Like they're not going outside, so they're not they're not ever going to go out there and move the legs, so they just leave them there. I, I, I love that scene. I thought it was great. Yeah. Well, are we led to believe that it was the same crab thing that got the biker because the rope shoots up into the air. And then plummets. And he's severed. He's cut in half. I don't so feel like they actually decided to come up with too many monsters either, Witty, because a lot of the stuff is spiders. There's a lot of spider web everywhere. They're a big attacker at the end. The crab dude is seen twice because he kills the soldier they sacrifice and he kills Ollie and he potentially kills Bikey. Then they see a giant creature that hadn't fucked with them at all walking over the freeway or whatever it is. And the only other things are the bugs and the birds that try and eat the bugs. So And the they, octopus that takes Norm. And the octopus that we can't see the body of. Yeah. So I mean, that's one of the questions I had for the end was how many different types of creatures are there? And I had all I wrote down was octopus, bugs, things that eat the bugs, crab man, and crab man. the Terrible giant man. Crab. The, the, <laughs> crab. So there's only like five types of creatures. Oh, spiders. Yeah. Jeez, it seemed like so much more when yeah. you think about it. My question was going to be which one would you prefer to face? I do not want to be in the spider room, man. Nah, 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 nah. no, no, no. Probably that. the 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 pterodactyl kind of things that would big, still freak me out. Big enough to sort of get a good swing at. Probably oh, you not, can fight them. Probably not too agile. 
wouldn't want to face the smaller bugs because like we saw what happened to checkout chick when she got her neck bit and her face is like swelled up and <laughs> she died. It was pretty grim. Pretty grim for her. Wouldn't want to face crab. He's gigantic. Why didn't anyone like, no, I didn't, you don't, well, we don't know. Why didn't anyone try to run away from it? That Ollie guy, I guess it was just too late, but he was like, look from the crab. Yeah. Just I think he just leans screaming. in, man. <laughs> fucking just <laughs> appears and just run. fucking grabs it. Run, Mindy. But, um, yeah, no, no, no. But I don't understand why people didn't band together against the flying things because they are killable, easily killable. People were just running around like fucking idiots. It's like, they're not actually that interested in you. They want to eat the bugs. So they, I would, I would take them on. Wouldn't be fucking with crab, man. No spiders. Tentacle thing obviously belongs something fucking massive. Yeah. And it's a horrific way to die because it has like spikes all yeah. along it. I enjoyed that as the first sort of... The Shermanator. Of gore. <laughs> yeah, the Shermanator. Um, that was like when it rips, up, like, rips the skin off his leg and then off his chest. You're just like, we're, it's, we're uh, on. I'm surprised on. that was none of our favorite deaths because it was a cool death and it was prolonged. Um, and it's kind of just like he's getting holes put in him and stuff. But we don't see exactly how he... We imagine he would have been crushed or devoured, but... He's definitely dead. It's just um, I don't, don't guess, guess we don't see him die. So maybe that's why I didn't make our our top one. But that scene's pretty fucked up. What was your gore rating for death and the movie overall? The military police officer spider explosion is pretty gnarly, man. I'd give mm. that a nine point five to a ten. That's creative. Damn. His back literally dissolves. Yep. From the spiders. You see yeah. them crawling out of his face while he's screaming. Um. That's that's up there. Uh, gore factor overall. I'm still gonna go pretty high, maybe like a like a nine for it because there were, you still saw some pretty gory stuff. It could have been gorier, but it's a, it's a bit of an older movie as well. So, what mm. do you guys think? I'm I'm gonna say probably a nine overall as well. Um, you know, there's realistic gore. There's like. You know that the stomach stabbing and stuff, repeated blows, it's very realistic. So that's very cringy, like not in a bad way, as in like you're feeling it, you're grimacing. And then, like Witty said, um, the spider stuff's pretty fucking rank. The guy getting like it's just rank. Some of the shit that happens. So I would say nine overall, and probably the spiders would be a nine. Yeah, I agree. I think it's about nine overall, and. I think for the guy getting cut in half, we've seen that before, so maybe not as high. Also, we don't see it actually happen. We just see him get dragged across the, the pavement, so maybe like a, an eight. But overall, like the whole idea, like there's the scene when they go to the pharmacy of, of being in the mist and only being able to see sort of two meters in front of you and not knowing what's all the way around you is like, it's pretty full on. Like it's a, it, you get a real sense of like how scary it would be. 100%. Danger where there's no visibility would be one of the scariest things. Oh, mate. And like you think we've talked about the ending scene, but imagine going out in that. People are getting killed around you in horrific ways. Then you make it out and you're still in that and you've been driving and driving and you've seen other creatures. It's the kind of, you know, what, what am I looking for? Like claustrophobic environment that would make you think there is no other option. You know what I mean? Like your, your hand is forced because you're like in a prison of mist full of vile shit. It's just so devastating that when it clears, it was like it was never there. So it would not actually, it's like a structure that was never there. So that scene where they go from the food house to the, uh, uh, to the pharmacy is really important because they're all packing their DAX. And that is like really claustrophobic scene because you can't see shit. So I reckon that really plays into his decision at the end. You know what I mean? Like it's just devastating for him that he made that decision. Witty, fun facts. Fun facts. I imagine there's a few. This is 
Frank Darabont's shortest film running length to date. It's two hours long. It's an hour and 14 minutes. It's an hour and 14 minutes long. Mm. Is that it? Shortest. Wait, yeah. An hour and 14. Are you sure it's only an hour and 14 minutes? I'm pretty sure. Or is it 114 minutes? I think it goes by an hour and 14 minutes. No. No, because nah. that's only 74 minutes. No, I think it was closer to two hours. But even if it's Correction, like, I think he might be 114 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Still, <laughs> it's, the short, it's the shortest. Sorry, I, I totally spaced Wait, yeah, that. Yeah, Shawshank's long as fuck. Shawshank's long as fuck. So Green, Green Mile. Mile. So long. Longer than a motherfucker. Great movie, though. This, I'm not sure if this is, uh, is or was, but at the time, the first film that Frank Darabont made that was set in the present time. So mm. previously, his stories have been framed in previous eras. Yeah, true that. A couple of frank facts um hitting you with some stephen king look there's there's actually a, a whole ton of stephen king um tributes easter eggs in the movie i didn't spot this one but maybe you guys did during an action scene in the film a man runs into a bookshelf in the grocery store if you look carefully you can clearly see that all the books are stephen king books ah, that's pretty cool i did not notice that i didn't notice that i did notice it, and you pointed it out right at the start when he's when when uh drayton is painting that he's painting the posters for really famous movies yep uh, the thing uh the man with no face or whatever it's called well that's that that's the man with no name trilogy has got the good the bad the ugly a fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more yeah. starring the one and only clint Eastwood. yeah and i think there's a couple others on the wall that are like super famous film covers yeah, but I, yeah. Didn't, I definitely didn't see the Stephen King books. No, I didn't see them at all. Frank Darabont wanted to cast Stephen King in the movie for a guest cameo, but it went to a different person. Can you guess which character that is? Uh, I'm going to go with the with Jim, the head mechanic. Jim, the head mechanic. Well, the only other guy I reckon, I, the, I reckon it was the bikey dude because he gives like only like a random spiel at the end of Shawshank um, and he's such a peripheral character and then he gets murked quite impressively. So my guess would be, I fuck knows what his name is, but the bikey. Does he play Elmo Blatch in that? Negative. He plays one of the mates of theirs. He's, um, he's the one that tells um, uh, Morgan Freeman is talking out of his ass at the end of the Shawshank ah, Redemption. You're absolutely right. And you are correct. He was the biker. He was going to be Holy the biker. Holy shit. You're on fire. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> trying to get through them quickly. Thomas Jane facts. Frank Darabont asked him to play Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead. He turned um, it down. It went to Andrew I, Lincoln. Yeah. He's from, a pom, isn't he? From Teachers, yep. Good man. Uh, in the pharmacy scene, uh, David Drayton is collecting a comic book. For his little boy, uh, Frank Darabont wanted to make it an uh, edition of The Punisher. As a shout out to himself, Thomas Jane, picking up a <laughs> comic book with The Punisher. Uh, he didn't instead made it Hellboy. But uh, Thomas Jane and Ron Perlman, who played Hellboy, would go on to make a movie together. I've, n- <laughs> I've named this one. What Have movie you- was it? I do have that in... Uh, Goat Boy. Different, different <laughs> Goat Punisher. <laughs> oh, man. Don't look up that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I'm calling this one Having a Bad Day. So this was a big uh, prop screw up on set. So Brent Norton's car is a 
1980 Mercedes. It's been crushed by a tree. So that car um, had actually been uh, in an like, had been in an accident and was going to a repair shop where the studio intercepted and said, "Can we take the car while it's bashed for a scene?" Clever, yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, cool. So Rather than just destroying a perfectly functioning 1980s or Mercedes, fucking build one to do yeah. it. You know what I mean? Okay, so the the production paid to use the vehicle with the understanding between the owner and the production team that there may be more damage done to the car. So this was not communicated and they continued to smash the shit out of it more. <laughs> and then like, apparently like, they, they, it says that they um, they ripped the upholstery. <laughs> Why? You don't, we didn't film inside the car. Ripped the upholstery, dented the body, scratched the paint, leading, leading to thousands of dollars in extra bills. Obviously, they still had to cover it, but that was a big fuck up. Ads producer Dennis Hugh. That so. is a big fuck up, man. Jesus Christ. Someone's personal property just like, it's like someone, oh, by the way, we took a shit in your glove box, you fucker. Have your car back, knobhead. <laughs> like, it's just fucking ridiculous. They'd fuck it up more. Um, there's there's actually a ton more. If anyone's interested in these, definitely look up the movie. There's, there's heaps of them, but we'll wrap it with fun facts there for this episode. Beautiful as always. Yeah, I've only got, really got one. I think that's that. Um, Frank uh, had the rights to two more Steven Spielberg books that he hasn't made into movies. Like Stephen King. Stephen King, sorry, not he not Spielberg. Um but yeah, he hasn't made them into movies because he just didn't. And he and he worked on this script from the nineteen nineties and but finally made it in two thousand seven. Maybe Frank's just working on something right now. And if you ever listens to this, man, we we love you. And we would love, love to have work. you on. We'd love to talk to you about your this. works are incredible for sure. Yeah, but we just don't invite Thomas Jane. <laughs> and kidding to Thomas Jane as well. Oh, man. You're a great yeah guy. Don't come and punish us, please. No. <laughs> you guys got anything else? Any other any things you want to wrap up before we wrap up? This film has got a seven point one rating on IMDb. It is rated R. So perhaps. And I, yeah, just don't watch, let kids watch it. Also, write it ah, because it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's awesome. Yeah, good movie. All right. If that's everything, guys, thanks for, for joining us on the Wild Horseman Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Wild Horseman Podcast. We're all on Instagram. I'm at Tom Wildy. Ollie is at Wildy Ollie. And Witty is at Witty151. And if you like what we're doing here, hit the subscribe button, tell family and friends, and leave a five star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it really helps us get the show out there. If you do leave a review or an email suggestion, we'll send you a prize. They're on their way, so get involved. And you can hit us up at twowildhorsemen at gmail.com or on our socials and we'll stick any movie ideas on the list. But until next time, we are the Horsemen. tweaking in that. <laughs>